We are, uh, we're in week two of our series as we walk up to, uh, to Easter. And in this series, uh, it's called the Book of John. We're looking at some of the middle chapters in the Book of John. And we're taking a look at the last few hours of Jesus' life before he, before he goes to the cross. And as you can imagine, in those last few hours, right, he's going to talk about the things that are, are most important to him. He's going to surround himself with the people that are most significant in our lives. We would do the same if we were in that place. And so Jesus gathers his 12 disciples. He gathers his closest friends, and, and he begins to speak into their lives, and he begins to share with them and, and give them the, the words that they need to hear so that they can live out the mission that he is calling them to, which really, in, in reality, a couple thousand years later, is the same mission that, that Jesus is calling us to. And that's why these words are so important for us. That's why this, this series is so important. And, and the reality is this is, a, this is a heavy series. It's not going to get much lighter between now and, and Easter as it continues to build because Jesus knew he didn't have time to waste. And so his words are weighty. His words are significant. But he's setting us up so that we can live on mission the way that he wants us to. And so today we're going to talk about how do we handle storms in our lives. How do we ha handle those difficult things that, that blow in, that, that wreak havoc? Some of them stay just for a short period of time, enough to cause damage, and then, they, and then they move on. Some of them stay in our lives for a long time. Many of us have been living in, in that place. But all of us end up in this place, right? No, no matter how long that storm is there, they leave a mess. They leave us shocked. They leave us stunned. They leave us numb. They leave us in a place where, where everything feels like it's fallen apart. What do we do with that? Because sometimes, if I'm honest, it feels, like, it feels like the rest of the world has moved on, right? Everybody else has kind of forgotten about that storm. But I'm still left with those pieces in my hands, the pieces of my family, the pieces of my dreams, the pieces of, of my life shattered amongst us. And so Jesus would describe this as, as us having a, a troubled heart. And that's what we're going to take a look at today. And, and let, me ask you, let me ask you a few questions to see if you can relate to any of this. Have you ever received a phone call from a doctor? I said that we, we need to meet immediately. We need to schedule an appointment first thing tomorrow morning. Maybe it's been a call from one of your children at 1 a.m. saying, I need your help. Something, something went wrong, right? I never planned for it to go this way. Mom, Dad, we, we need to talk. Maybe you've been called into your boss's office before. Production is down. The, the first quarter numbers are in, and it's not looking good. Maybe you didn't get the letter saying congratulations from the schools that you applied to. Maybe the roster for the team was posted in the, in the hallway, and, and as you scan through, you realize that your name isn't on it. Maybe it's a letter from the power company or a collections agency, a call from your landlord. Your investments take a turn. The stock market takes a hit. Your savings are gone. He or she stops returning those phone calls to you. It, it's not me, it's, or it's not you, it's, it's, it's me, which really is never the case, right? Let, let's just be friends. Maybe even though you thought you were Miss America or your movie won the Oscar only to find out that someone read the card the wrong way. Or maybe this weekend you're just a Carolina fan. You understand what it means to have a troubled heart, right? You understand that, and that's what Jesus is going to talk about. 
Now, we all know what, what it feels like to have one of those storms blow into our lives. If you live in North Carolina for, for 20 minutes, you've already experienced a weather change, right? Because every 15 minutes, everything changes. I don't know if you remember, it was about a week and a half ago, we had a, a massive storm, right? There was lightning and thunder, and it went from like 82 on a Wednesday to 42 on a Thursday. And, uh, and, and Pastor Mike tweeted this, and, and I thought it was so great. He said, last night's storm reminded me, life is about storms. You're either going into a storm or you're already in a storm or you're coming out of a storm. See, life is, life is about storms, isn't it? Some of us are in storms right now and you're looking for any help that you can get. You're just barely keeping your head above water and, and you're so desperate for anything that will help you to survive. And I think today is, is gonna help you with th- some of that. Today, some of us are, are, have just come out of storms and we're in a place where we know that we need, we need healing, we just need a chance to breathe, right? We just need to, to just kind of settle down and, and, and live in that for a minute. The rest of us, which is really all of us, know that there are storms coming, don't we? You know that you need a game plan for that next storm because storms don't care. Storms don't work on your timetable. Storms don't wait until you're ready for a storm to, to come into your life. Storms come when storms come. And in the middle of the storm is not the time to be evaluating if you're ready. It's not the time to be checking your supplies. That's not the time to be battening down the hatches. There are many causes for storms. But I think there's three storms that really have the potential to trouble our hearts the way Jesus is going to talk about. The first one is death. Because we've all experienced the pain of loss, haven't we? It was just over 10 years ago that, uh, that my dad passed away. And rarely does a day go by that I don't think of him, that I don't see him in, in Ty and something that he says or something that he does, that I don't wish he was here to spend more time with Ty or that Ty had more time to spend and to learn from my dad, that I wish he could be here to help change the, the brake light that I haven't changed for a month because I can't figure out how to, how to get to it on my car, right? The, the every major decision that Laura and I have ever made in our lives, it's always involved our dads. And, and even to this day, when a major decision comes up, I grab my phone and I'm about to call and realize he's not there, right? Those storms create incredible pain in our lives. Death could also, though, include your health. Maybe it's not all the way to physical death. It could be uh, the whole area of disease or sickness or, or affliction. It could be the death of a dream. It could be the death of a, of a relationship. Someone in your family, a friend, you never imagined that you would ever get to this place where you wouldn't be talking to each other anymore. You never imagined the pain that it would cause. Maybe the death of your career, right? These storms leave us with a troubled heart. Here's a second kind of storm. It's daily problems and disappointments. Daily problems and disappointments. Maybe in the area, again, of a relationship. In your singleness, right? It's created so much stress and, and, and almost paralysis in your life. For some of us, it's our divorce or, or struggles that we're, we're currently going through in our marriage. There's so much pain, there's so much hurt, so much insecurity from them. For some, it's our kids, the choices that they're making, maybe a, a season of rebellion that they're going through that's got you questioning everything that you believed and everything you've done. Maybe it's a rejection that has left you feeling isolated and completely alone. See, some of us, uh, those daily problems, disappointments are, are financial stresses. You can hardly pay the bills. Your employment is hanging on just by a, a thin wire. For some of us, it's, it's school or work, the hours that we put in, the expectations, the pressures to perform. See, whatever, whatever may be your daily problems, they create trouble in our heart, don't they? And then the third one, the third one is, is this, it's disobedience. Maybe you've blown it. 
in some area of your life, and now you're just living in the wake of that decision or those decisions that you made. See, they all produce their own kind of worry. They all produce their own kind of stress in our lives. Disease and, and death, right, that threat of death can produce fear for us. Daily problems and, and disappointments create anxiety and, and, and frustration and inability to, to cope with them sometimes. Disobedience produces guilt, produces shame that, that just crushes us. And more likely than not, the thing that you're worried about this weekend falls into one of those three categories. It's summed up by one of those three storms. And I want to show you how you can find some much needed relief in your life. What if we give you some principles that would help you deal with whatever it is that's troubling your heart today? If you have your Bible, um, I'd love for you to turn with me to John chapter 14. If you don't, that's okay. We're going to put it up on the side screens and you can, uh, you can follow along uh, there. Let me give you a little bit of background while you're turning to, uh, to John 14. Last week, uh, we looked at John 13. Right? And we take a look at most of that chapter. And in this, uh, Jesus chose to show his disciples how much he loved them. And in fact, it says that, that he humbled himself, right? that, that he did the thing that none of the rest of the disciples were doing. And he got down on his hands and knees and he met a need and he washed the feet of his disciples. Remember, we talked about the fact that Jesus shows us what a servant is all about, what it means to serve someone, that a servant knows who they are. They know their identity because it's found in their relationship with God. They simply just meet a need. When you see a need, you don't walk away. You don't offer just to pray for it, right? You actually do something about it. And the last one is that servants serve imperfect people. And then Jesus told his followers, which includes us, to follow his example and to love each other the way that he loved us. I want to go back to chapter 13 and just read the last few verses. Most of these we didn't read last week because it's going to set us up for where we're going today. It's going to set us up for what John is about to share with us and what Jesus is about to share in, in chapter 14. But in, in John 13, beginning at verse 33, it says this, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why, why can't I follow you now? I, I will lay my life down for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really? Will you really lay your life down for me? Because very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And in these verses, we see all three of these storms that we just talked about. Death is there in verse 33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. Jesus knew that the cross was just hours away. He knew that his death and his ascension would then mean a separation between him and his followers. And so they're about to face death head on. There's daily problems and, and disappointments. You see, God's plan for them is very different than what they had hoped for. These disciples had a, had a dream. When they marched into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday... They believed that Jesus was going to stay there, and they believed that Jesus was going to become king, and they were going to join him in ruling over all of Israel and ruling over the entire world. And now Jesus is saying, where I'm going, you, you cannot follow me now. What does that mean, right? Does that mean that Jesus is going, but, but only Peter can't follow? Or does this mean that Jesus is not going to be king? Or does this mean that Jesus is going to be king, but the rest of us don't get to go with you? We're not going to be your right-hand men anymore. 
See, they've got a problem. They gave up everything to follow Jesus. They gave up their families. They gave up their friends. They gave up their futures. They have to be disappointed because their dream is, is being shattered right in front of their eyes. And then we also see in these few verses disobedience. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Three times Peter would have an opportunity to stand up for Jesus, and three different times Peter would deny that he even knew who he was. We're going to take a look at that story in, in just a few weeks. Let me just give you a little teaser for that, right? Because here's both Peter and Judas, and both of them are going to betray Jesus. But one receives guilt, and his life becomes history separated from God. The other receives Jesus' forgiveness, and he uses that to change history. Here's a point. Disobedience doesn't have to be the end of your story. But in chapter 14, Jesus is about to give us a solution to the storms that we face in our lives. And, and I love this about Jesus, right? I, I just, I love how, how purposeful he is, and I love how much he cares. See, these guys have no idea what's about to happen. They, they have no idea that their world's about to turn upside down, but God already has a plan, and I want you to understand this today, that this is absolutely true for you in your storms. It might surprise you, it never surprises God. It might catch you off guard, it never catches God off guard. And so what we're gonna see is, is six principles in, in John chapter 14 that are gonna help us face the storms in our lives. And in verse one it says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Here's the, the first principle, it's this, is that we trust in Jesus. See, the word for troubled in, in, in the Greek, it literally means it's a picture of a, of a stormy sea. And Jesus understood the storms that these guys were about to go through. He knew that their hearts and their minds and their worlds were about to be turned upside down. And so he says this to his disciples, hey guys, don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. Just trust, right? You trusted in God, now, now trust in me. And obviously Jesus is sharing with them in this moment, in these last few hours of his life, because he knows they're in a place of, of confusion in this moment. He knows that everything is about to change for them. He knows there is a betrayal and an arrest, several illegal trials, and then his death on a cross. And Jesus is preparing them for the hurricane that's about to blow in and wreck everything in their lives. See, this is always the first choice that we have to make. Who will you put your trust in? When you trust in yourself, you can make that choice. You can trust in your education. You can trust in your experiences. You can trust in your skills and in, in your ability and in, in your plan to try and control the weather, to control those storms when they come into your lives. Or you can choose to trust God and trust Jesus, the one who created everything and, and is in control of everything. So Jesus told his disciples, he said, guys, trust, trust in me. You've trusted me for eternal life, now trust me for your daily needs. And in fact, John uses a, a tense of this, of this word trust that means keep on trusting. This isn't something you just do once in a while, right? This is an ongoing, all the time, 24 hours a day kind of trust. Is that you just keep on trusting me, keep on trusting me, keep on trusting me. And so Jesus says, guys, here's the reality. I'm, I'm leaving, right? That's, that's reality. You're staying behind. That's a reality but I need you to keep trusting me. Trust that I know what's best for you. Trust that I know what's coming next. Trust that I am gonna take care of you. Which leads us to a question. What does it mean to trust in someone or, or something? Trust really just means to, to rely completely on a person, right? Or rely completely on something. And it, it's, it's that word that completely is, is the big part 
in trust. For example, you relied on the chair that you're sitting in to hold you up today. No one came early, right? No one came in and checked out their chair. No one tried it out to make sure that it would hold them. You didn't check to see if all the parts were there. You didn't have your own personal crash test dummy come in and sit on your chair. Some of you call that your husband, right? None of you had that, had that happen today, right? You just walked in and you trust without worrying that your chair was going to hold you completely. And so you sat on it. Maybe some of you are now worried, right, about your chair. You're like, well, it would be a fun game, wouldn't it? Just a little chair roulette. We just take the parts out of one chair, and we just watch to see if, if someone sat in it. But we didn't do that. You came in, and you sat on it, relying on it completely. Spiritually speaking, that's what trust, that's what trust is. Remember last week we mentioned that in the first 12 chapters of John, right, that, that John records in there seven miracles that Jesus performed. Now, the reality is, is there were far more miracles that Jesus performed than seven, right? And John knew that because John was part of Jesus' inner circle. So he spent the most time with Jesus. He, know, he knew there were more than seven, and yet for some reason he chose to only record seven of them. But one of those seven was the time when Jesus walked on water. Now, we don't have time to, to look at it or talk about it really today. I would love for you to go and read it this week in John chapter 6. But, but here's the, the premise of it, right? The disciples are out in a boat in the middle of a lake. Jesus is on a mountainside praying, and it says that all of a sudden a storm blew up, right? And, and all of a sudden they're stuck in the middle of the lake, and they can't go in, they can't go back, they can't go forward. They're just stuck there paddling and trying to survive in the middle of the storm. And all of a sudden they see Jesus walking out on water to them. And they got a little nervous, right? They start to freak out a, a little bit. And Peter yells out and he says, Jesus, if that's you, then tell me to come to you walking on water. And Jesus says, it's me, Peter, come on. And so Peter slings his legs over the side of the boat and he begins to walk on water, which as a Canadian really isn't that impressive because we walk on water like most months of the year. So I, I don't really get how this is considered a miracle, but whatever. And then, so they write it down and, 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 right, and we know what's going on is that while Peter is walking on the water, as long as his eyes, as long as his focus, as long as his trust is in Jesus, Peter is totally fine. But you, you can predict what happens next, right? Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus. Instead, he begins to focus on the wind, and he begins to focus on the waves, the storm that is still happening all around him. And he tries to take control of things himself. And you, you can guess what happens next. Peter begins to sink. And Jesus reaches out and grabs him by the arm and literally rescues him. I wonder if this story flashed through the disciples' mind when Jesus begins talking about having a, a troubled heart when he begins talking about the storms that are coming and, the, and he says these words, trust me. I, I wonder if this, like lightning, right, kind of just flashed in their minds. Because that's what trust is. It's relying on what Christ can do and, and what Christ will do. Trusting that he will deliver you from whatever storm you face, whatever it is that you go through. It's saying, God, I'm, I'm in the middle of this storm and I need you to hold me up. God, I need you to rescue me, because if not, I'm going to drown on my own. And if you've been there, you know that one of the most exciting times in life is when we trust God to do the impossible, and he shows up and does it. I didn't say it's the easiest times in our lives, but it is by far the most exciting. See, for some of us today, that's, that's all you needed to hear. You've been trying to save yourself. You've been trying to save your family. You've been trying to control all of the things that are happening in your life. Or maybe instead of trying to control it, maybe you've chosen to just ignore it. That's one of my favorite ones, right? Just, just pretend that it's not there. Just ignore it and pretend it's all going to go away and that eventually everything will be okay. 
Some of us, we try to hide from storms in our lives. There's lots of ways that we try to hide from it. Maybe through drugs or alcohol, through sex. There's all kinds of ways. Maybe you try to hide from it at work by throwing yourself completely into it, putting in all kinds of hours and overtime, pursuing promotion after promotion after promotion. For some of us, it's television or going online, channel after channel, hour after hour, just because we don't want to face the storm. Maybe, for some of us, right, we, we use the strategy of, of I'm going to give others heart trouble. If I'm going to be in the middle of this storm, if I've got to go through this, and I'm going to make everybody else around me just as miserable as I am. But you know that no matter how smart you are, you know that no matter how hard you work towards something, that it's just never enough. And you feel it. You feel like you're just slowly drowning. Please understand this. Jesus isn't condemning us for having heart troubles, right? He's not condemning us for this. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. He's not condemning you. In fact, Jesus experienced a troubled heart multiple times. In John chapter 12, it says this, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. See, Jesus knew that he was going to the cross. He knew that he was telling us something that he had experienced and how he handled it, and he's setting us up to do the same. See, the simple answer is this, God, I I will trust you. That's the first principle to help you calm a troubled heart is that you put your trust completely in Jesus. The second is this, is you trust Jesus is working in you. Verse two says this, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now, what's Jesus talking about here when he says this? Because he's telling them again that he is about to leave, right? And what Jesus says is that, in fact, he's, he's on his way to go be involved in, in a couple of, of, of construction projects. Now, remember, Jesus was a carpenter, right? And so he's probably, he's probably good at construction projects, and so that's a, that's a good thing. But he's beginning these two construction projects. One is that he's going to be leaving to go build heaven. The other is he's allowing storms in our lives so that he can build us. See, affliction and heartache, failure, pain, even death, that's part of Jesus' construction project. And so he's got these two things in mind as he's preparing to leave earth, that he's going to go prepare heaven and that he is preparing us for it. And part of that project, part of those tasks include pain and hardships. That's why C.S. Lewis once wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. And so Jesus said to his disciples in verse 4, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christianity has been criticized for being bigoted and and narrow-minded, for being exclusive, but it's it's really not. Yes, it is narrow, right? The only way to get to heaven is is through Jesus. Those aren't my words, right? Those are Jesus' words. We, We just read them. And so, yes, it is narrow, but that's okay because Jesus is God. Jesus is allowed to say these things, right? Jesus is the only one that paid the price for the sin of all mankind, for your sin, for my sin. And it's only, heaven is only available to those of us that have a relationship with him. And, and, and so it's okay for Jesus to say this. It's not bigoted, it's not narrow-minded, it's not exclusive because it's available to anyone and everyone. In fact, it's, it's completely all-inclusive through Jesus. It's not about what you do, it's about what Jesus already did. 
In verse 7, he said this, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And so Philip said, Lord, show us the father. That will be enough for us. I love Philip. He's, he's so real. I think he's so much like us. And, and I wonder if as Philip's sitting there going, well, Thomas just asked a question. And, and Jesus, you, you gave a really cool answer to Thomas's question. So, hey, guys, watch this, right? I got a question for Jesus too. And, and so he shoots out this question. And, and Jesus says, I promise to do this, right? I promise to give you that. And so we respond typically like Philip. And we say, Jesus, if you'll just give me a little bit more right now. Right? If you, Jesus, you'll just show me a little bit more. Jesus, if you'll just do a little bit more right now, I'll trust you for a whole lot later on. Just show us the Father now and we'll trust you for the rest. Look at Jesus' answer in verse 9. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus is like, guys, you're looking at God in the flesh. God is standing right in front of you. Verse 10, he says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. See, if you have heart trouble, if you're going through a storm right now, verse 10 is the, the verse that you want to underline. That's the verse that you want to memorize. That's a verse that you want to hold on to in this. When Jesus says, when I speak, God the Father is speaking through me. When I perform a miracle, guys, understand this. It's God that's doing it through me. And Jesus is teaching these men, and, and please don't miss this because this absolutely applies to our lives. God is living in us, and he's working in us, and he's working through us. He's taking charge of our lives and that he's in control. He knows what's going on. He knows what he's doing. And that includes sometimes times of pain and times of suffering, tough times, because God's using those things to, to work in us, to grow us, to make us more like his son, because he knows what's best for us. And if we can get our arms around that truth, it can revolutionize our, our lives. You see, there's a, a, some Christians believe this. If, if things are going good, in my life, then God must be in it, right? I, I must be, God must be pleased with me. And, but then when things are, are not going well, when there's pain, when there's suffering, when there's storms, when our hearts are troubled in, in our lives, then, then God must be displeased with me. I'm not sure where we ever came up with that idea that, that we deserve constant pleasure, that our lives should be perfect, that our lives should be, should be easy, because it's simply not true. What we know is true is that God is constantly at work in us. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, regardless of the tough times that you may be experiencing, if you can remember that God is at work in you, that you're under construction right now. It will literally revolutionize your attitude. It will revolutionize and change your life. See, this isn't a cop-out. This isn't a, a, power, a power of positive thinking kind of thing. This is a comfort thing that, that God is offering to us. When we remember that he's at work, like it or not, we're often more receptive when we're hurting, aren't we? It's just part of, part of what God is doing in us. Here's number three, third principle, is that we trust Jesus, we'll use this to help others. Verse 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. 
You see, God never wastes a hurt in our lives. When we come through a storm, whatever size it was, however long it lasted, however much damage it caused in your life, whatever scars you have as a result, God wants to use those things to help out others who are going through the exact same thing. See, maybe, maybe you're just in a place where you're just a little bit farther down the road. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. God never wastes a hurt in our lives. Your experiences, including the ones that you regret, including the ones that you want to hide from others, including the ones that you want to forget about all, all completely, all, all to yourself, right? These are the things that God wants to use to help others. They're part of your story. And I would even argue that, that for the most of us, it's probably one of the most important parts of our story. See, once you've been through something, once you've dealt with it and you're healthy or you're getting healthy, then you're the best one to help someone else who's going through the exact same thing. And so what do you... What do you do with what it is that you've been through in your life? What do you do with those storms, especially for those of us that have just come out of one? Here's how you know what stage you're at. If you hear this and God brings a storm to mind, he brings a problem, he brings a struggle, something that you've been going through, and you're just thinking, I'm just not ready to deal with this yet. I'm not ready to share this with someone else, right? I'm still working through it. That's okay. That's fantastic. Because what that means is that you're still in that growth process. That means that God is still working in your life. He's developing your faith. He's developing your character. He's working on your dependence of him. Stay there as long as you need to stay there. Continue to wrestle with him and allow him to mold you and shape you and grow you the way that he wants to. But if you hear this, and God brings a storm to mind that you've been through, and, and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I, I think I could share that with someone. Maybe for some of us, you're in a place where you're thinking, I, I need to share that with someone. I, I know, I know what I went through, and I know there are people in my life, people around me that are going through the same thing. And congratulations, because that means that you're in a place where God can use you in amazing ways. You see, imagine what the disciples thought when they, when they heard Jesus said, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, right? I'm sure the disciples were like, whoa, 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 Jesus, right? Like, that's not even possible. Like, there's no way. You're Jesus, right? We can't do greater things, but... But they did. As you continue to read on, right, in the, the story of the church, they did miraculous things. God did miraculous things through them. Peter, we're told that, that, that just a, a little while longer, right, that he shares, he, he teaches this, this massive crowd at Pentecost about who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And 3,000 people that day surrendered their lives to Jesus and began following him. There's no record of Jesus ever leading that many people to himself at, at one time. Now, Jesus isn't promising that we can go walk on water. So don't head over to Jordan Lake after this and say, I'm going to test out this promise, right? That this is fantastic stuff. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is that when we care, when we share, when we serve, when we love, when we pray for, when we reach out to others, that God has an amazing way of doing things that we would consider impossible and drawing people to himself. Laura reminded me this weekend, right, that our, our slogan is, is to be hope where you are. It's not just a bumper sticker. It's not just something that we put on the back of our phones or on a, on a cup that we carry around with us. That we literally are to be hope where we are, everywhere we go. How many of you saw the, the movie Hacksaw Ridge? Did you see that movie? It's, it's an incredible movie. Um, and also 
very difficult to watch. And, and, and I'm not going to spoil it for, for anyone here today, but when those aliens show up in the movie, that part got so crazy, right? I'm just kidding. There's no aliens. There's no, it would have been cool, but there were no aliens, and there's no aliens in there. But, but Desmond Doss, right, he's, he's the main character, and this won't spoil it for you. He has a, one of his prayers in, in this movie is, is this, please, Lord, help me get one more. Please, Lord, help me to get one more. What if we adopted that prayer as our own? God, will you please help me to serve one more? God, will you please help me to help one more? God, will you please help me to share my story with one more? God, will you please help me to reach one more? Here's the fourth principle is that we trust Jesus through prayer. Verse 13 says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. See, those are great verses, but they're often misinterpreted and, and misused. We like to interpret those verses as whatever I want, God's promised to, to give it to me, right? Just name it and, and claim it, right? And so you guys know I, I want a Jeep. I want a Jeep in Jesus' name, right? And so I just said it. And now, if you own a Jeep and Jesus is speaking to you right now about sharing it with me, feel free to bring those keys up right now and we can, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. You don't have to bring them up now. You can give them to me after service. I, I'm a patient man. I can, I, can totally, I can totally wait. But here's the reality. When I drive home tonight in, in my 2003 Nissan Pathfinder, I can't blame God, right? I can't wonder why God didn't keep his promise to me. I named it. I, I said in Jesus' name. There's a fundamental problem with this interpretation of verse 14 because there are times when we really need to be thankful that God doesn't answer our prayers, right? That we don't get what we ask for. What if God had to do whatever it was that, that you asked for? Now, some of us are thinking, right, that sounds fantastic. That would be great. It's not. You haven't thought it all the way through. You could be at the mercy of, of everyone else's prayers as well. For those of you that are single, it might mean suppose you met a potential mother-in-law and, and that mother-in-law liked you. You swiped left, right? You were like, I am not into your son or daughter. But that mother-in-law, right, they want you to marry them. And so they believe hard enough and they pray for it in, in Jesus' name. And next thing you know, you're married. And it doesn't matter whether you wanted to be or not, right? You're like, I, I wouldn't want any part of that. Nobody would. We need to thank God at times that he doesn't answer our prayers, that God is in control and knows what's best. You see, sometimes we look at this like God's some kind of genie in a lamp, and, and if we rub it, right, and that God will show up, and, and that whatever we ask for, he's going to give us, or that God's some kind of vending machine God, and if I put in enough money, if I show up to church enough, and I pray enough, and I'm in a small group, and I, I'm serving, and God, I'm doing all these things, which means you're going to give me what it is that I want, but that's not how this works. So what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Because this is obviously important. Jesus said it. It's a, there's something here that we need to understand. What it really means is that we go in someone else's name. When Rex Tillerson the, the, leaves the country to go and represent as the, the Secretary of State, he goes in the name of or the place of the president. And so when I'm asking for something in Jesus' name, I'm asking in the place of Jesus. And it means this, that I am free to ask. But it also means that I'm depending on God's power, not on mine. And really what it means is that, that the things that I'm asking for have to represent God's plans and they have to represent God's purposes and they have to represent God's character. And when we do that, that's when Jesus promises that he's going to meet our needs, that he's going to respond to the things that we ask for. Here's number five. We trust Jesus through obedience. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. 
I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. See, this really goes back to what we talked about last weekend, that it starts, it starts with why Jesus put love into action, why he began by washing the disciples' feet and setting an example for them to obey and for us to obey. That if we love Jesus, if we truly do, then we are going to obey. We're going to want to do the things that he asks us to do. See, here's the point. If we truly love Jesus, we show it by obeying him. This isn't meant to earn God's love, right? This is how we show God's love in our lives. Obedience isn't to receive it. Obedience is a response to it. It's a response to God's love for us. Love comes first. It's expressed through obedience. And then the rest of that verse says that, and this is amazing, we don't have to do this by ourselves. It's not about you working up enough strength, enough courage. It's not about you doing enough good things and working really hard to obey God. God says, or Jesus says that it's God's spirit that is going to work in you and is going to work through you and give you everything that you need to obey and to follow him. Here's the sixth and last one, is that you trust that Jesus will give you peace. See, here's the, here's the result. Here's the end, the end game in this. Verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So Jesus is ours from the cross. He was leaving. He knew that his death was, was imminent. He was leaving his followers with this promise that he would give them peace. But not just any peace, that he would give them his peace. Jesus is ours from the cross. And yet he is at peace with this. And he promises that when we're in the middle of a storm, whatever that storm is, when our hearts are troubled, that we can have his peace. God's plan for your pain ends in peace. Can I ask you a few questions as we head into this week? When that storm hits, who will you put your trust in? Will you put your trust in, in yourself or are you going to put your trust in, in Jesus? Which one of you is, is all-powerful? Who will you put your trust in? Second question, who will you trust or will you trust that God wants to work in you? That you're under construction and that God is working through this storm to shape you and to grow you and to make you more like himself. The third is this, will you trust God to work through you? Will you trust that God wants to use this storm in your life and whatever it is that you've gone through to actually help others, to benefit others, to reach others, to impact the lives of others? Four, will you spend time in prayer depending on God to do the work, not trying to do it all on your own, but depending on him? Five, will you take a step of obedience? See, it's responding to God's love. No matter what, whether you feel like it, whether it's easy or not, that, that I'm going to choose to be obedient. I'm going to choose to respond to the love that God has given me. And the result is number six, is so that you can have his peace. God's plan for your pain ends in peace. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Feels weird to ask or to say, I, I thank you for storms. But God, when we read something like this, we understand that storms are just part of, part of what you're doing in our lives. So God, as we close this out, I just want to pray Psalm 25. Just those last few verses that say this, turn to me and have mercy for I am alone and in deep distress. My problems go from bad to worse, so save me from them all. Feel my pain and see my trouble. Forgive all my sins. 
See how many, how many enemies I have and how viciously they hate me. Protect me. Rescue my life from them. Do not let me be disgraced, for in you I take refuge. May integrity and honesty protect me, for I put my hope in you. God, some of us are in storms right now. Will you be everything that we need? Will you be the rock that we hold on to? May we put our trust in you. Recognize that you're working in us, that you want to work through us in the lives of others. May we trust in you in dependence, in prayer. May we obey you out of response to your incredible love to us and may we discover that peace. Father, for those that have just come through a storm and are, and are still beaten up, are still broken, are still hurting, God, will you help us? Will you be our source of hope? Will you be our source of healing? And Father, for those of us that are fortunate enough right now not to be in a storm, Father, may your word sink deep into our hearts. And when that storm comes, may we lean in and trust in you in the truth of your word. God, we thank you. Storms don't take you by surprise. And we thank you that you've already put in place a plan for us on how to deal with those storms when they blow into our lives. Help us to trust you, rely on you, and find peace and hope in you. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.